It was on a Sunday afternoon, May 22, 2011, when an EF-5 tornado touched down in Joplin, Missouri. That tornado was on the ground for 38 minutes, one mile wide, carved a path 18 miles long. It started one end of town and went right down through hospitals, churches, residences, schools, home depots, you name it, sought it out and cleared it out. Unfortunately, over 161 deaths happened that Sunday afternoon. Families had just finished the high school graduation and were celebrating with their meal when the sirens went off and this EF5 tornado touched down. The next morning, Monday morning, Mennonite Disaster Service volunteers were on the ground. In fact, volunteers were arriving from all over Missouri. Did you know there are about 26 different kinds of Mennonites? But one thing they can agree on is to come together and pick up. I caught up with the group on Thursday. Leland, God bless Leland. Leland is a Tampico Mennonite. He has a black bumper, but he's the team lead. So Leland, of course, showed me around, block after block, endless destruction. Finally, I was so numb, I said to Leland, I got to get out and just walk. He had some phone calls to make. So I walked up and down a couple streets and walked down this one street, huh, Pennsylvania Avenue. And the debris, the houses were this high. And there's where I saw him. I saw this man standing in front of his house, frozen. He had his work gloves on, and I gently approached him, and I called out to him, excuse me, sir, excuse me, are you the owner of this home? Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss, I said. Gently approached him, where were you when the storm hit? Dogs blew out the window. Dogs jumped back in, tried to make it to the basement, but the door was pinched. Wow, you survived. Yeah. And now and then he'd look up and look at the logo on my shirt. I said, he's Mennonite, he said. <laughs> yeah, I said, have you heard of the Mennonites before? Yeah, he said, the only thing I salvaged out of my home was a Mennonite community cookbook. I said, I'm Kevin. He said, I'm Al. I said, Al, what's with the Mennonite community cookbook? Well, he said, I love to cook. And I, looked at, I worked at this restaurant downtown Joplin. It's gone, but two months ago, I lost my job. And you know when you lose your job, you get the unemployment check. And you have to decide what, they, what you're going to spend it on, the light bill or the insurance. And he said, the insurance of my home ran out last month. What do you say to Al Hannah at that moment? Just as we sang, when all hope is gone. Friends, this morning there are no words. There are no words. <laughs> Except for, God bless Leland. He shows up, a clipboard in hand, and he's already scoping it out. You know the best thing you could say? The best seven words will send a crew in tomorrow. I'm happy to say that Al Hanna was one of the first 
of many homes that we rebuilt there in Joplin, Missouri in 2011. It was also on a Sunday afternoon that Mennonites came together. Mennonite young people came together way back in 1950 at a Sunday school picnic in Heston, Kansas. Many of these young folks had just come back from doing alternative service. They might have been smoke jumping in Missoula, Montana, or dairy testing in northwestern Pennsylvania, or working in a mental hospital in Fresno, California. When they came back, and they sat around and they said, we got to keep this thing called service. This does something formative for us. So they gathered that Sunday afternoon in Heston, Kansas, in a park and decided, let's start, why, the Arkansas River floods from, we got Tornado Alley here, let's, and so they began this unit, or this organization called Mennonite Disaster Service. And of course, it spread like wildfire, pun intended, up into Canada, Indiana, Florida. Today, little did that Sunday school group meeting with those two churches in 1950 ever imagine that there would be five to 6,000 volunteers going out and serving each year. Little did they realize that these volunteers would show up on a Sunday night and work all week and go home Friday night or Saturday morning and making a profound difference. So you might say, where are we now? If we could listen intently, well, no, it's, it's Sunday, so if this was tomorrow, we would hear hammers ringing hope in 20 different locations throughout the U.S. and Canada. Mennonite Disaster Service was once a part of MCC, but in 1994, we had a friendly split. So MCC responds to disasters outside of Canada and United States, Mennonite Central Committee, and MDS, we respond to disasters in U.S. and Canada. So let's just have a quiz here this morning real quick. Uh, if there's a famine in Ukraine, who responds? MCC. If there's an uh, earthquake in Haiti, who's responding? There's been an earthquake in Puerto Rico lately. Again, it hit again, 5.0, by the way, overnight in Puerto Rico. Who's responding? MDS, thank you. There's a typhoon in Saipan. Who's responding? You're confused. Many of you, no worries. Saipan happens to be a territory of the United States, way out in the Pacific. By the way, quick story. 2005, Typhoon U2 hit. FEMA called us up and said, we need the Mennonites to rebuild homes in the Saipan. So they paid our way if volunteers went three years or three years, I wish, three weeks or more. They rebuilt 45 new homes, actually 46. And then unfortunately in 2018, a year and a half ago, a major typhoon Sotolar came through and wiped out Saipan. All 46 houses stayed standing except one. They called us and said, please, we want Mennonite houses now. <laughs> We were overwhelmed, but there we are, responding, rebuilding, and restoring again in Saipan. So from Saipan all the way to Puerto Rico, these 20 locations responding to the wildfires in California, the hurricanes in Texas, and in the panhandle of Florida, 
come up along the East Coast, Hurricane Florence and Michael and the Carolinas. And yes, we're still building private access bridges in West Virginia. So what if all these disasters, Beth was just asking how many staff we have working for us throughout US 26. Actually, when I started 16 years ago, we had six staff. That's an indication of climate change, brothers and sisters. It's one indication. But in my 16-year tenure with MDS, we've seen disasters quadruple. In fact, FEMA has a number. Since 1980, disasters have uh, increased 400 percent, 85. Since 1985, disasters have increased 400 percent. Ocean water temperatures are creating more fuel for these disasters, for these storms. There is more energy. Hurricane Dorian that slammed the Bahamas and then into North Carolina, or Hurricane Michael that came into the panhandle, suddenly blew up before it came ashore in Florida last year this time, or Hurricane Harvey that came ashore into Houston and then backed out, reloaded, and came back in again in 2017. It rained 54 inches in three days' time. Clearly, the climate has changed. So what are we doing about it? Well, some of the new things for Mennonite Disaster Service, as we continue to respond, is that we're taking people out of low-lying areas. I often say, I'm tired of going back and cleaning and mucking out and putting them back. So our vision now is to take whole communities out of these low-lying areas and rebuild them up onto higher ground. We've done that in White Sulphur Springs in West Virginia. 26 homes, and uh, that model, I'm happy to say, is now working in Texas, where we're building 40 new homes, taking people out of the floodplain. We purchased uh, 26 acres, and the Amish are being bused all the way from Holmes County, Ohio, every two weeks. They're building 30 houses in 30 weeks. Texas is waking up. It's incredible. <laughs> Um, anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but that's the vision we have with MDS is to take people out of harm's way. And uh, I should say MDS does not do this alone. We are partnering in that project with Dale Foundation. Oh, please, 20 seconds, another story. So I get a call from Dale Foundation. They say, is this the Mennonites? Yes. Are you here in Texas? Well, yes. Uh, well, we hear you do good work. How much money do you need? We have 26 million we set aside for Hurricane Harvey. Check with me afterwards, what was my response? <laughs> but other partners such as uh, Habitat for Humanity, the Methodists, we do, there's 46 national agencies that we partner with. So Mennonites don't have a corner on this thing. We actually partner with FEMA and so many other groups. Truly, we bear one another's burdens and in this way, we want to fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what can you do to change lives through MDS? Thank you for your support, your financial support. I often say people can pray, give, and go. Pray for the ongoing work of MDS, for the wisdom to know how to say yes to some communities, because we can't respond to all of them, that you can continue to give. $50 will support a volunteer per day. And you can go, you can volunteer for a week or a month. 
You do not have to be a trained carpenter. We say, give me your two hands and two feet, and we'll make you tired before the day's over. <laughs> Pray, give, and go. And so what inspires me is actually this is a volunteer network, over five, 6,000 volunteers, thanks to that vision that Sunday school afternoon in Heston, Kansas. To God be the glory. Let's sing the first verse of 396 as a response. The work is thine, O Christ. the height of the plantain trees, but her ambition is immeasurable. I am, in, I am in Nicaragua, the land of the dragon fruit and the passion flower. Maria walks with me and my fellow travelers through groves of leafy green plantain trees. They offer welcome relief from the late morning sun. Her sun-scorched farm is just a few too many kilometers east to catch a cool ocean breeze. Maria doesn't seem to mind. The 28-year-old leads us through field and pasture with long strides and a farmer's cap. She has no time to bother with sun or sweat. We are happy, Maria tells us through an interpreter. We are so happy with the results from the plantain plants we received from the local university. The local university she mentions is a Catholic school run in nearby Rivas, Nicaragua. Here in a dark, damp basement of an otherwise inconspicuous open-air building, students and staff dream of a better future for their country with tiny glass jars in hand. Their product comes with a hopeful promise. Genetic selection will increase plantain yields, improving resistance to disease and drought. In the poorest country in Central America, where half of all exports are tied to agriculture and 50% of the population works behind these shipments, foundational improvements to the agricultural industry are paramount. But such changes require teamwork. And that's where Mida enters in. So I'll pause here for a second and ask if we could just watch a quick two-minute video. So in my two and a half years on the team here at Mita, I have very much fallen in love with this way of helping, of sharing God's love. I believe in a dignified approach of equipping or empowering others, of unlocking God-given potential. 
I want to add on just a couple quick things to this video. I want to note that our projects and investments take into consideration two very important lenses. The first is social and gender equality, and the second is climate change. Also, we don't consider a project done until it is sustainable, replicable, scalable, and measurable. A lot of, a lot of ubbles there for you. And as the movie mentioned, from our beginning, it's been important that Mita's presence is temporary, self-sustaining. Speaking of beginnings, before I get back to Maria and that basement school lab that I started talking to you about, I want to give you just a very quick overview of how this all got started, of Mita's Anabaptist roots. So another story for you. Kevin and I both like stories. In the 1950s, Mennonite refugees from Russia and East Germany had been dislocated following World War II, and some ended up in Paraguay and Uruguay. Can you imagine, in a completely new world so vastly different from their homes in Europe, these refugees needed help? Church organizations like MCC uh, furnished basic needs, but more was needed. A small group of business people gathered at a hotel in Chicago in 1953. Among them was Ori Miller, the executive secretary of MCC at the time. They decided that instead of sending over any more stuff, they were going to look for a sustainable way, um, a way to use their expertise in business and a way that they could pool their own money to make an investment. And it worked. Thus began the Sharona Dairy in Paraguay. The name was chosen on the biblical term Sharon, the fertile pasture that is celebrated both in 1 Chronicles and Isaiah. In the years to come, the dairy would spin off into many other dairies and many other businesses. Um, you can fact check me if you like. As Leslie mentioned, Carol E.B. Good is a longtime Mita staffer here, but I am told that up to 80% of uh, dairy products in Paraguay are linked back to this original Serona dairy. Mita's history from that first investment is a bit winding. There are many projects and many pieces, and not every project was successful. There were many learnings along the way. Notably, in the 1970s, Mita merged with a very similarly named organization called MIBA, just to make things like a little more confusing, MIBA stands for Mennonite Industry and Business Associates, and this domestic community had thousands of members. This brought two groups together, um, both with an appreciation for business. So MIBA, closer to home, MIDA internationally. And remember, this is a pretty radical concept at the time, um, business as a tool for good. For many, yes, including many of us in our own congregations, being a business person, a successful business person, raised some eyebrows. The newly merged MEDA, which is the acronym that won out, created space for these working professionals to both serve others, to put their faith in action, to live out their Anabaptist values. For some time, Mita did have projects domestically. If that business for good thing sounds faintly familiar, you may tie that to assets here in Lancaster City, which you may know of. Assets actually began as a Mita project before in Mita fashion it was released to continue to grow on its own. Fast forward to today, and Mita is a worldwide organization. Between investments and active projects, we're in over 70 countries with hundreds of on-the-ground local partners and thousands of direct clients. We have local hubs. These are previously called chapters. These are supporter-led groups in North America. But in a very intentional decision, Mita focuses its development work 
expertise internationally. So we go to places like Nicaragua, the land of the dragon fruit and the passion flower, and home to that local university in Rivas that I started to tell you about. Home to Maria, who is one of the people who inspires me in my work at Mita. Maria, my age, my peer, she grew up on a farm like I did. So with a combination of uh, supporter donations from people like me and you, and a partnership with the Canadian government, Mita launched a project in Nicaragua. This particular project works with small-scale farmers by strategically focusing one step up the ladder, the businesses that provide the farmers with supplies and tools, tools including genetically selected plants. The Rivas School's business operation was one of our selected partners. Now with Mita's financial support and our longtime expertise in agriculture, we were able to give new energy to this budding business, which was renamed the Vitro Plants Biofactory. Public demonstration plots were built so that farmers could see the difference better healthy plants make. Production schedules at the biofactory were staggered to meet rising demand. On-site training and workshops were offered to ensure healthy farmers, healthy plants, positive word of mouth. So today, Maria is one of 1,500 Nicaraguan farmers to receive in vitro plants from the school. Conversation and analysis with local farmers, including Maria, confirms what is readily visible. The plants are healthier. Before, explains Maria, uh, growing plantains on her father's farm was a game of high stakes. Workers, as many, ten, as many as 10 seasonally, would painstakingly pick between the best, the mediocre, and the poor, discarding large quantities of crop. Finding consistent workers in Nicaragua is no easier than it is here in North America. Differently timed harvests provided an added complication. But now, the manager of her father's farm, Maria is inspired, ambitious. She's set on innovation. We're always thinking ahead now, she says. We know that if we want to move forward, we need to implement new things all the time. Her ambition shines through. Not all the farm is like this yet, she says, indicating dragon fruit and dry pasture beyond. We need to renovate other areas using this technology. That's one of our goals. Almost as a personal reminder, she adds, but we need to do this little by little. Plants towering overhead. Maria tilts back her farmer's hat, daring the sun on her face. Somehow, little by little, seems an obstacle this next generation farmer will inevitably conquer.